But what I'd like to do for uh, the next four weeks is I'd like to lead us through a series of messages uh, that um, you'll see uh, basically labeled on the front of your bulletin uh, that will lead us up to Easter. And these messages uh, surround around the idea that God is on a mission. And I don't know how much uh, you're aware of just how much he's on a mission, but hopefully by the end of our time together, you'll see the urgency of all the things that God has on his mind and on his heart. So where do we start out at? Well, I think if you've ever watched The Sound of Music, the best place to begin is where? At the very beginning. And in the beginning of the Gospels, we see a story uh, that that is repeated in in, in the other Gospels that centers on Jesus' connection with other people. And it's his way of, of starting off a ministry that I think is reflective of the very heart of God. And if you can imagine Jesus as he's uh, done everything that he, he's needed to do as a young man. Uh, he's developed a skill set as a carpenter. He's taken all of the teachings that his parents have given him. And he's integrated them into his life in such a way that when he reaches that pinnacle moment of his formative years. Where he has to go out into the wilderness and be uh, and present himself before John the Baptist uh, and say, you know, I, I need you to baptize me in order that all righteousness may be fulfilled. And, and when he did, uh, when, when John lowered him into the water and it was representative of something that we would all begin to do as we followed him. Uh, the, uh, the, the scripture says that the clouds opened up and, and the spirit descended him as if like a dove. And you heard this voice, uh, this is my son whom I love with him, I am well pleased. And there was this connection that happened between the father and the son that showed that the two were in harmony together. And the whole design of that activity was to begin to ripple out into the community of people and the communities of the people of the world, the influences of that relationship that those two shared together, that they would be shared with every person who was willing to take part in it. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the prospect of knowing that God is a relational kind of God. That no matter what we are going through in life, He is there to help us along the way and usually allows it to happen so that we can, we can grow. But if you are not connected to Him, those sort of things will, will never take on any life. And what Jesus did as he started out his ministry was he began to look for people in the countryside that would be willing followers of the mission that God had placed upon his heart. And as he did, he, um, he began in the, in, in, in the word of the scriptures around the Sea of Galilee. And in Matthew chapter 4, it describes a scene where as Jesus is walking along the sea, he sees a couple of people and he makes eye contact with them. And when he does, it's almost like it was an electric moment because he sees in their eyes a searching that, um, that they probably have had for a very long time. And when they locked eyes, it was clear that the searching was over. And when Jesus looked at them, he told Peter, who was known at that time as Simon, and his brother Andrew, he said, guys, 
follow me. And, and what is so amazing about that statement was the response that was given by the two brothers when they looked at him and then they looked at each other and the scripture says they dropped everything and they began to follow him and when they did Jesus says you will no longer be fishers in the ordinary sense but rather now I will make you fishers of men and it was really the first step in a long series of steps which got bigger and bigger as time went on where God was reconnecting with the humanity that he was disconnected from. And I love that story because it has embedded within it so much, especially that phrase, follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but when you follow somebody, there are reasons why you follow them. Uh, it could be that when you see them and you see that there are characteristics about them that are maybe more than even words can describe but you have a connection with them and a chemistry and you realize that um, something is working here that uh, could potentially evolve into something great. And I know that in the case of these two, there was that connection. But there may be other people that you've experienced that with in this life. Uh, people that you've started to follow, but over time you realize that uh, the... The, the initial steps that you took with them were uh, promising and favorable, but over time you realize that, well, it's just leading me down the blind alley of disappointment. And there were a series of would-be messiahs who'd come into the world that Jesus uh, and all of his eventual followers uh, had experienced. And these were would-be messiahs who would say, follow me, follow me. And people would start to follow, but it would always end tragically in, in, in death or um, in, in imprisonment or something that would lead to um, just the alienation of, of uh, of people from uh, each other. And as I think about that, I, I think about how you and I are in this place because there was a connection that happened between ourselves and God in some way that um, was probably the result of Jesus entering into our worlds in some manner and saying, come and, come and follow me. And Church is a funny thing because there are reasons why we come here that have a lot to do with needs that we have in our own life. I know some of us are here because, well, there were, there were issues that we had, maybe with um, uh, just a brokenness that had evolved over time. There was, uh, maybe there was alcohol or maybe there was drug abuse or maybe there was a relational brokenness or maybe there was just a sense of, I... I know that there has to be an answer here somewhere. And this had stressed us out so much that um, we just started searching and looking. And you came here and maybe you decided that Jesus was someone that was worth devoting your life to, worth following. And as you did, you started to not only connect to him, but you connected to other people. And... I just want to make you aware that there are within us each wired that desire 
to connect. Have you ever been on an airplane and one of the, one of the things that they tell you to do whenever you get onto the airplane is that you have to put your, your phone on airport mode or you have to turn it off completely. And whenever the plane lands and it's getting ready to go up to um, uh, the gate, uh, they'll, they'll say uh, it is now time, uh, if you like, to turn on your, uh, on your phones. Some, of, some people have already done it as soon as the plane hit the ground, but others, uh, whenever they, they hear that, um, they immediately look down and start pressing that button that activates their phone. It's almost a, a collective action. And if you've ever done that, you'll know that initially your phone is just not connected. And you'll see in the upper right-hand corner this, this phrase, searching searching, searching, searching. And then eventually, it'll connect, and if the time change has, has, is different, it'll, it'll indicate a change of time, and then pretty soon, you're pretty much established in your, your connectivity with any of the relationships that you want. And there's other things, oftentimes, in an airplane that happen that show that same searching for connection. And and it could be uh, this sound that we didn't hear this morning, but we could have. And that is of a baby saying, wah, wah, wah. I haven't done it for so long, I forgot how. But, uh, but I, I, I vaguely remember that I made a lot of noise. And I know that I've had those people in my life who've made a lot of noise. And when they were making that noise as babies, they were saying... I want to connect with someone. I need to connect with someone. And whenever a person would go up to that child and connect with them and, and, and begin to calm them down with the assurances that they're here for you, then the baby finds a sense of calm and peace. But the problem is, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he knows that there are a lot of connections that, um, that, that, that could possibly be in play. And these were connections that I think the disciples understood in, in ways that they, they, wouldn't have, they wouldn't have described it in this sort of terminology. But they would say that there are four possible networks for connecting with others based on their own experiences and probably their own words. And maybe the best way to do this, is if you have your, your bulletins with you, there's, a, there's a, 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 basically a blank page on the back. And, and you could put uh, just a circle like this because I, what I, what I want to describe are the four corners of the world that you can connect or not connect in. And the first corner is, uh, number one, it's just that we connect to no connection. We connect to no connection. And it doesn't mean that there aren't people around us. But I, I know this as a, as a pastor, and I, and I think it's true of leaders and of volunteers. I also know it as a parent. Uh, I know it as a husband. I, I, I know this, that even though there are people around us, it doesn't mean that we connect to the people around us. Now, what, what does that mean? Because I, I think sometimes we live in this state of searching and when we find that the people around us are unwilling 
to connect on a relational level, on an emotional level, on a spiritual level, then chances are it doesn't matter what they say or how they present themselves, they will probably never influence us in any meaningful way. And if you look at how this works in us, because we are wired for this, and chances are we stress out when there is no connection with other people. And there was a study that was described on NPR where uh, some psychologists were trying to figure out how a relational connection with, with another person affected our stress level. And this is what they did. And oftentimes it seems to involve electricity. And in this case, it's no exception. So what they did is they, they, they would get volunteers and they would say to the volunteers, if you... Um, if we can put a monitor on your brain that indicates your level of stress and we can give you a, a mild electrical shock, uh, we would like to measure how you respond to that. And as that was um, uh, underway, they would begin with the first phase and that is they'd put the gear on you and then they would say, now in the next 10 seconds, we're going to give you... And as you got that, your stress level just went way up. Well, they said, okay, we want to we try something different. And what we'd like to do is we'd like for you to um, uh, hold the hand of this person over here whenever we activate the electrical shock in the next 10 And when they did, after they held their hand, or before, you know, they, they were holding their hand before and they got shocked, what they discovered is that there was... No change. None whatsoever. Stress was still the same. But in the third phase of the experiment, they said, how about if next time you come, bring a friend? Someone that you're close to. And when we do the experiment, we'll have them hold your hand. And in that state of connection and assurance then we will zap you. And I don't know who the people were that volunteered to do this, and I don't know what kind of insane they were given, but somehow along the way, uh, there were people that cooperated. And when the electrical shock happened, guess what, guess what the stress level registered? It wasn't there at all. It was that there was no stress level. Now, isn't that crazy how just a connection with somebody can make all the difference in the stress level of a human being? And I have to tell you, I think the reason why these two brothers were out fishing and had that as their livelihood, it could have been a family trade, but if you've ever been fishing, there's one thing that I like about fishing in the times that I've gone. It is extremely peaceful. There is very little drama except the drama you create with the fish. And maybe some dumb drama like falling in or losing your tackle box or stuff like that that you can laugh about later. And I can't help but think that these brothers spent most of their time on the lake because, quite honestly, 
they were sick of being around people because there were political problems that were constant. There were Roman soldiers that at every turn were telling you to carry their bags and to do things that were humiliating. And on top of that, you had religious leaders who were demanding that you would live according to a set of dictates that they arbitrarily established. And if you didn't, they would, they, they would condescend to you in such a way that made you feel, well, it made you feel pretty bad about yourself and it made you feel pretty disconnected from God. And I have to think that there were a fair number of thinking people who said, we're done. We don't need that drama because, honestly, we don't need that stress. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've felt that in my own life where you're just like, don't need the drama, don't need the stress. Give me a big, wide open lake with nobody around and I'm good. I see Dan back there just smiling because you've never done that before every year for the last 30 years, have you? So you get where I'm coming from on that. And it's easy to just say, I don't want to connect to any connection because I know that there's too much of a downside. Yet, like those two that evolved into 12, that evolved into 72, that evolved into a whole movement of people calling themselves Christian, somewhere along the way, people got the idea that even if I disconnected, it's still not enough. I still need connection. And so there's one option in the four corners of the world. And they were, they were doing that option. And that is, we choose to connect to no connection until that day Jesus came along. But there's also another corner that you can connect to in the earth. And it's not just uh, connecting to no connection, but rather it is connecting to a bad connection. And it, it isn't necessarily because you're getting static on your phone, but maybe because the connection is all too clear. And the person that you're having that connection with is creating the type of connection that every time you connect with them, you end up feeling bad about yourself in some way. It could be that every time you connect, you have this stress because you say to yourself, there's nothing that I can do that will please this person. There's nothing that I can do that will make me feel good enough. There's nothing that I can do to meet this person's expectations. And then there are those voices in our head sometimes that say, yeah, there's nothing that you can do. And so... The connection is all too vivid, but it is still a bad connection. And the problem with that kind of a connection, which many of us have and, or have had, is there are two forces in play in this connection. And these were actually religious forces that the two followers, new followers of Jesus, saw uh, uh, pretty clearly in their world on an all too frequent basis. And these are the forces. One is, because of those voices and those people, we feel out of control. Like we're not the ones even controlling our lives anymore, but rather 
what they are saying is dictating our ability to choose. Or when we have to always please somebody to be good enough, the other forces we feel judged. And we know that in those relationships, those connections create those sort of uh, outcomes and we find ourselves saying, I've, I've got a connection and it seems to be all too clear. And it's just the way our stress wiring is made up. And I, I wonder sometimes, because they were human like we are, if this doesn't factor in. The stress wiring of, of these two, if uh, they had gone out into the regular everyday uh, 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 environment where civilization uh, bumped around, they would find that when the stressors were indicated, the physiology of their body would be activated. And it's, it's impossible under those conditions to feel, to not feel stress. You will feel low stress or you will feel high stress, but either way, it will be there. And as these disciples are looking at the situation, they're saying, if we disconnect, then at least we don't have those forces at work in our lives. Now, there were other people who said, I'm going to stay connected. And I'm going to engage with other people. And I know those forces are at work. And so I'm going to be connected. And it's going to be a bad connection. But I'm going to be in control of it at least. And there was a gentleman who was asked by Jesus to follow him. And the gentleman had some issues that he needed to sort out with him. And, and we read about it in Mark chapter 10 verses 17 through 27. And a young man who was very wealthy and had his own means came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And he says, I've obeyed all the commandments. I've done everything ritualistically that is required of me. I've honored all of the stipulations. I've done what I've been told to do. And Jesus said, well, there's just one more thing, and then I think you're good. And that is, go and sell everything, and then come and follow me. And when he heard that, he knew that it would require a new connection. One where he was no longer in control, but rather a, a connection that required a surrender of all things, like the fisherman by the sea who said, we're going to give you our nets, and we're going to exchange them for a call. And there are some of us who say, I can't quite let go, even though the connection that I have is a bad one. I would love to follow you, but there are just some things I cannot let go of. And for the rich young ruler, it was pretty much the ability to control everything in his life, including that religious slice that he was hoping to put in order as well. And Jesus, the scripture says in verse 21, looking at him, Jesus made a connection with him. And it says, he felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, 
Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But at these words, he was saddened. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And so he remained content in that bad connection. Here's the, here's the third one. And this is another corner of the world that we can connect as we decide who we're going to follow or who we're going to allow have control over our lives. And that is the feel-good connection. And it goes something like this. It's not a bad one. But it is, a, it, is a, it is a corner of the world that we go to oftentimes because we are exhausted by the demands of life. I mean, if you have, uh, have been in the workplace, you know what it's like to have to provide for your children, for your family, for your retirement, for your health care, for your church, for everything that has its hand out along the way saying, we need you to help us in some way. And... Many of us comply with that without any reservation whatsoever because we believe in all of these things. But at the end of the day, we find ourselves feeling pretty depleted. Our energy levels are low and we're kind of feeling down and so we're looking to make that connection. And even our faith sometimes in that mode is not enough. And so we go to that feel-good corner of the world To try to make a connection. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with feeling good. I think it is is well. But there is inside of us an incessant chip. Like inside of our phones. That is searching, 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 searching. And it just does not stop. Day and night, 24-7. And because it is searching. Maybe we get to that place where we're saying... I just need to self-medicate. And it could be through alcohol. It could be through some, some chemical dependence. It could be through distraction. It could be through internet porn. It could be like this one Christian gal who said she was actually in love with two men at the same time. And those two men were Ben and Jerry because her love affair was with food. And so you get that that is within each of us. And the disciples understood that. And they had been instructed that your fallback on this is to, it's to attend the synagogue. Or the temple worship. It is to pray at certain times of the day. It is to fast at certain times of the year. And it is to involve yourself in appropriate religious rituals. So that you can do what you're supposed to do. Rather than give in to that craving to feel good. And when Jesus was calling people. He understood that there were. Many, many people in the landscape who had connected through all of these means and it's like anything, at the end of the day, they, well, they they leave you feeling kind of empty. You know, the Bible promises us that sin will make you feel good. But the problem is only for a little bit. I have a confession to make. I don't eat a lot of sweets, but last night my wife made brownies. 
and we had a Ben and Jerry substitute to pile on them. I, I couldn't resist. I was like, I'm going to eat some, which I did. And after I got done, I'm like, it's not going to hurt to eat a little bit more. So I went back and I got some more. And I got another scoop of ice cream. And I said, now I will stop after this. And I had that nice confection. Because I hear stomach starting to rattle, rumble. And I don't want to get this going in the direction it doesn't need to be going. But I'm like, you know... I was feeling pretty good a minute ago, but I'm not feeling so hot right now. And then when I woke up this morning, I'm like, man, I don't feel good after eating all that stuff. I had to pry myself out of bed. You see, there was a wonderful pleasure in it just for a moment, but the downside was so great that it reminded me why I just don't eat a lot of sweets. Uh, they just don't like me very well in that regard. I, it's a feel-good connection, but it's empty because when you crash... You just don't have the capacity anymore. And the same goes for any other way that you, that you uh, find yourself uh, engaging with the feel-good connection. There is one last connection, and, and I'll just say it briefly. And that is, it is the real connection. When the followers of Jesus in that moment said... We're going to be followers of Jesus. Something changed in their life. Because all of the substitute and secondary forms of connection that offered so much promise but proved to be so meaningless and so counterproductive ended when they connected with him. I personally believe that in order to grow spiritually in your relationship with God, you have to connect relationally with others. I believe God flows through the lives of the people that he has called to be his children, one to another. And as that happens, there is such a source of encouragement. There is such a source of edification. And if you come to church depressed today, I can assure you that you will hopefully, yeah, I, I, can, I think I'm pretty, pretty uh, certain in saying you will probably feel better when you walk out of here. Mainly because you've had a chance, just a little chance in the course of the week to connect with a few other people. And you may not even be fully aware of it. But when you did, God showed up. Because God lives in the connection. It's almost like a circuit. I'm not an electrician. But I know for electricity to flow, it, it starts out one way. It goes to the place that it's designed to go into. However, it has to complete a, a circuit to the ground in order for that electricity to flow. And I have to wonder sometimes if that's just not an analogy that God wired into creation that says, you cannot connect with me until you connect with others. Now you can, but it won't be a good connection in the way that I designed it because I've connected you to be in community with others. God himself is not just one God, but God is one in three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by design uh, almost like an atom with protons, neutrons, and electrons just 
circulating in that dynamic relationship, showing us that we can only thrive in relationship with Him and with one another. And when God looked at this world in all of its brokenness, and all of its disconnection or bad connection, He said, I am on a mission to reconnect my people to myself and each other in a way that is healthy and life-giving. And so a real connection happens this way. It happens when you're involved in a a community group, a small group, uh, a mentor relationship, a relationship where you are with a body of people or a group of people on on a regular basis, a relationship maybe if you're going through recovery that says we're here to affirm you, but at every turn when God is working, he's working through others. And he may be working through me right now to your heart. And that maybe is the problem. Because a lot of us, it's about us directing towards no connection or directing towards a bad connection or directing towards a feel connection. And the heart has two passages in and two passages out. And the one in may be so clogged that nothing is really coming out like it needs to. And God may be saying, I'm here to free that up. I'm here to flow into your life so that out of your life, I can flow into the lives of others. And maybe the problem is a heart problem. And the only way I believe that that flow can cease being disrupted is for Jesus to come into your heart and make that flow happen. I'm just inviting you into that relationship as we close because God is on a mission to connect you relationally in that way.